the words of encouragement Adam gives me on the way off. He goes, I really warmed up that crowd. Don't screw it up, would you please? Um, <clears throat> if it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We have, uh, we're now in our third week of our series called Unfollow. And what we've been doing, just honestly, we're just taking a look at social media and the way that social media impacts every single one of our lives. And even if you're a person who's not on social media, because many of you are not, Many people came to me and said, you know, I've aged out of social media or I'm just, I'm off it. I just don't, I want nothing to do with it. Don't tune out because all we're doing is using social media as a vehicle to kind of talk about these larger issues that, that are in our lives. And every single week we've been asking questions of ourselves to kind of prompt the discussion. And so the very first week I had the opportunity to ask you know, a very uncomfortable question is that, am I bragging? When it comes to social media and Facebook and Instagram, am I a person that brags? Am I putting up things and, and posts about myself? And the question that I gave to you guys to use as a filter was, why am I posting this, really? And I know that people have started asking themselves that question because over the last couple of weeks, people have come up to me and said, I've got to be honest with you, I've really begun using that question. Why am I posting this, really? And I've come to the conclusion that I, I, I do brag. Well, I mean, I don't want to call that, but a lot of what I do is to draw attention to myself. And through using this filter, I've really scaled back a lot about how much I talk about myself online. Last week, we asked the question, am I jealous? When we're on social media and we're looking at what other people have and the vacations they're going on and the opportunities they have and their family and this and that, are we looking at them and saying, I wish I had what they have. What they have is better than what I have in this world. And we came to the conclusion that if you are in that kind of a situation, what you're really saying is that God owes you, that somehow in life he shortchanged you, that he owes you what they have, or rather he owes you what they have and more. And so we took a look at the scripture and we came to the realization that it's not about what you have in this life. Rather, it's about what you do with what you have. So today, before we kind of get into the topic of the day, the question of the day, I want to have a conversation just for a couple of minutes about how we got to a place in society today where I have to have this conversation, where, where, where we have to have this kind of a sermon. What, what has transpired? What events have taken place that have led to the pl place that we now have to have this conversation together? So let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. Just think about it in your head. If I were to ask you, what do you think the lowest form of human entertainment is? What, what would you say? Just in your minds, just think about what you would say. I think some of us might say boxing or MMA. You know, it's just two guys or two girls just beating the tar out of each other, and we're, you know, paying big bucks to watch this. Or maybe you might say dogfighting, okay? It's animalistic, literally, okay? But it's illegal, and we, we shouldn't be getting involved with that. That's pretty low. We shouldn't, you know. But you'd be wrong. The lowest form of human entertainment, as far as I can tell, is a reunion episode of The Real Housewives of Dallas. <laughs> now, it's got to be the Dallas cast, because, I mean, New Jersey, and I'm from New Jersey, they're pretty bad. But these girls take the cake. Now, if you've never seen an episode of this show, or if you've never seen a reunion episode, let me just briefly explain to you what you're missing out on. Imagine for a moment that 
for six months now, they've been recording your life, and now they're showing the clips to these women, and they're getting to see the behind the scenes of everything that all the other women have said about them, and now they put them in a room. They put them on a couch. They feed them, you know, copious amounts of Pinot Grigio. They're all probably on, you know, mood stabilizers. <laughs> and it's like, are we ready? Put the cameras on. Let's sick them on each other. And it's, I mean, it is brutal. There is fighting, there is gossiping, there is slander, there's like weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've just never seen anything in your life until you've seen these particular women go at it. And we're watching it. We're sitting at home on our couch, and we're, you know, we're putting on the DVR, and we're fast-forwarding through the commercials because we want to see these women tear into each other even more. We don't want to miss a second of it. Now, let me just set the record straight, okay, because this is being recorded, and people are watching online. I don't watch this show, okay? This is not a show that I, my wife, now she watches this show, okay, but I do not watch this show. I might be in the room when it's on, Okay? As your pastor, you should just know this is not a show that I'm watching. My eyes might be looking at the screen, you know, during the 60 minutes that this is being broadcast, but I don't watch this show, okay? I might be able to tell you every single one of these women's names and who their husbands are and their backstory, but this is not a show that I watch. Okay, I watch this show. It's, a, it's the greatest show on television right now. I love it. The re let me, okay, I don't know if you've watched this show, but like, let me just, okay, my favorite character and my, you know, Jacqueline and our friend Meg, they watch this show, they love it, and it drives them crazy that I love this woman, but I love this woman, Leanne, she's the best, let me tell you why, because she's nuts, she's absolutely, every single episode, and by the way, if you put a gun to my head and you said, how old is Leanne, I couldn't tell you, she could be 60 or 20, I have no, she just, her face does not move, could not tell you how old she is, but here's what I know, and here's why I like her. Every episode, she threatens to kill one of these other women. <laughs> I've seen her tell someone she's going to shoot, and she's a Christian, by the way. She's going to shoot them. One time, she was going to strangle them. Another time, there was, a, I think, a stabbing incident, okay? It's just every single episode, it's just, it's a wild ride. Now, I don't know what you watch, but we're all watching one of these kinds of shows. Maybe it's another one of the Real Housewives. Maybe you're watching Below Deck or Vanderpump Rules, or maybe, you know, you go down a level and you're watching The Bachelor, but we're all, we are just watching these shows. And here's what I've come to realize. Reality TV has normalized and mainstreamed bad behavior. We are watching normal people, and I use that word very charitably when I'm talking about these shows, okay? We are watching people who are not actors act insane. Just anything goes, no filter. They say whatever they wanna say, they do whatever they wanna do, they just behave out of control. And it just seems to me like the crazier they act, the more spotlight they get. The more airtime, eventually they get their own spin-off and we can watch them even be crazier just by themselves. And it never seems to end. But I think it begins to have an impact on us and the way that we think. Because we're watching these normal people live this way and say these things and, 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 and be so negative and fighting and backbiting and all this kind of stuff. And I think slowly it begins to work its way into our hearts. And we think that because they can act like that, and society's lifting them up, that it gives us license to act the same way. Now, we, we're not on a reality television show, but we do have social media. That's our show. Cameras always pointed at us. Keyboards always in front of us. 
And that is our show, and we have that captive audience. And the problem is this. The longer you're on social media, the more comfortable you get, and the next thing you know, you're acting as though it's a reunion episode of The Real Housewives of Dallas. You find yourself saying things you'd never say before. You're posting pictures of yourself you should never be posting, okay? You're, you're making comments. You're posting inflammatory political things. It's just the next thing you know, you are out of control. And I don't think we even care sometimes because we are now in a culture where we just say, don't judge me, don't judge me, which is generally speaking always the people that need to be judged, okay? But we just do whatever we want and we don't care. Now, there's one area on social media that is really the creme de la creme in terms of bad human behavior, that if you enter into this zone, okay, if you dare go in here, it's kind of like going to Dante's Inferno. It's like abandoned hope, all you who enter here. This is where, like, the depravity of the human condition is most seen. And because we're on social media, let me show you a meme to talk to you what I'm talking about. Meanwhile, in the Facebook comments section. Any, ar any article you see on Facebook that's posted, whether it's you put it up, a news put it up, you go in that comment section, oh boy, you better watch out. It is like dropping meat in the piranha tank, and people just go at each other. It's just out of control the way that we treat each other, the things that we say. Now, here's the deal. We are not a church that gets into politics at all. We just think it's a bad move for any church. But just if you put an article about Trump up, we just know that half the audience is going to love him, Half of them are going to hate it, and, and there's going to be an argument. We wish that weren't the case, but that's just the, the world that we live in. But you could put an article about real estate, and people are going to start fighting with each other. Just this week, I don't know if you saw, but Jillian Michaels, she is a celebrity personal trainer. She was on The Biggest Loser. She just happened to write an article about the keto diet, saying that she didn't think it was the best diet out there. She likes macros. Focus on your protein, focus on your carbohydrates, focus on your fat. Keto, she thought, not the best one. Well, you should have seen the backlash that this woman received for merely stating her professional opinion. On Twitter, they were crucifying this woman. I saw the article, by the fifth comment down, they were calling her Hitler. What, this is where we've become in this society, where we are just blasting people for just putting their opinion out there. We don't think about it at all. And I was wondering, I was like, what? How did we get here? How did we get to a place that w when we are online, we just act so differently than we do in real life? What is going on? So I, I researched a couple of articles. Basically, psychologists will tell you that the internet and your computer and your phone give you a sense of anonymity. That you, that because someone can't see you, we all have this kind of new bravado. That maybe we're more aggressive. We are acting in ways that we wouldn't act in public. And I would just say this to every single person in this room. If you've gotten fooled into thinking that, that, that you can act differently because nobody can see you, here's the truth. Just because we can't see you doesn't mean we're not watching. Because when you post on social media, it can be seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I think sometimes we, we put something up and we think, well, five or six people will see it. No. First of all, even if you only have a handful of followers, if one of them interacts with that thing that you posted, now all of their friends can see it, and all of their friends can see it. That's how this whole thing works. And so we put these things out there, we post these pictures out there, we go on these diatribes, just losing our mind on social media, thinking that maybe no one sees it. 
and everybody sees it. And so many people that you will never meet are looking at you and watching how you behave. And because we're humans and we have brains, we're making judgment calls about who you are as a person. And wh what are you trying to tell us with the way that you act and the way that you behave and the things that you're posting? So the question for today, when you begin thinking about your social media presence, so the way that you act on the job or in this world is this. Am I jeopardizing my influence? As a Christian, are the way that you act, are you jeopardizing the influence you're supposed to have in this world? To go a step further, is my behavior helping or hurting Jesus' mission? Because when you call yourself a Christian, which many of us in this room do, when you call yourself a Christian, you are now officially a spokesperson for Jesus Christ. The Bible's clear, and we're going to talk about it today. You are to live your life in a way that you reflect his light and his love. And so is the way that you're acting or the things that you're posting or how you're doing it at work or at the gym, are you putting God's work in jeopardy? Are, are, you, are you risking your own reputation and the impact that you can have in this world based on the things that you're saying. Now, it is said quite frequently that the world is waiting for Christians to fail, that they are watching us like a hawk, waiting to see us screw up. This is true. This is 100% accurate. But many times when we say this, it's weird, but we almost say it in a way like we're making it a negative comment about them. Like, they shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be watching us like this. They shouldn't have that attitude waiting for us to fail. But I think the reality of this statement is that the world is actually waiting for us to act like Jesus. They've heard of Jesus. Maybe they've heard you tell them about Jesus. I honestly, truly believe that they are waiting to see if this guy named Jesus, that the power of Jesus that, that the, the existence of Jesus, that the authority of Jesus, they are waiting to see if he has any effect on your life. Is there anything about this guy that you, so, that you worship? Is he doing anything in your life to make you different from anybody else in culture? That's really why I think they're watching us like hawks. So Jesus one day was on the side of a mountain, and he was giving what later would become one of his most famous sermons to date called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the process of this, at one point he stopped and he goes, all right, I'm going to give you guys two word pictures, just two word pictures to begin to think about. As you call yourself a follower of mine, I want you to think about these two word pictures. When you're out there in the world, when you're interacting with other people, okay, this is how I want you to begin thinking about these things. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You've heard that phrase before. Ah, salt of the earth kind of a guy. He goes, you are the salt of the earth. Okay? Now, what is salt? Salt is many things. But in Jesus' day, salt had a primary goal of being a preservative. They used salt to cure their meats, to keep their, their fish fresh. Okay? Salt prevented things from decomposing, from rotting, from getting nasty. Right? There were no refrigerators, so they used salt. So, he is looking at his followers, he's looking at us as Christians, and he's saying, you are the preservation of the entire earth. You are the preservative. And if you don't preserve the world, if you don't preserve culture, things are going to go negative real quick. Things are going to start to rot. Things are going to start to decompose. 
things are going to start to get gross real fast. And when I look at the trends online, and I look at politics, and I look at news, and I look at media, it's pretty rotten out there. It's pretty gross. And I think Jesus is looking at every single one of us as his followers, and he goes, I need you to raise the bar. I need you to set an example. I need you to be different in the way that you live your life. He's saying when you're out there and you see gossip and you see slander and you see bullying and you see negativity and you see hate, whatever you see, you're going to know what it is when you see it. When you see that, I need you to step in and stop it. I need you to stop the rot. I need you to stop the decomposition. See, I believe that at least in America, I think common decency is gone. I think we've lost it. And I think Jesus is looking at his followers and saying, I need you to bring it back. I need you to set the bar, to create a new standard of behavior. And we hear this, and I'll be honest with you, we kind of ask ourselves, well, is that me? Am I living that kind of life? Am I acting differently than other people? Or have we been sucked in? by the culture around us? Are we acting like everybody else? Are we getting into fights? Are we bullying? Are we negative? Are we, are we get posting inflammatory political stuff? When people look at us, do we look different at all? I mean, is there any discernible difference between us and someone who might not be a Christian? And because you've been there before. You've seen a Christian say something and you go, really? You call yourself a Christian, and you're going to say that? Really? You're acting like that, and you call yourself a Christian? Really? But Jesus says to every single one of us, it's very easy for you to point out that speck in somebody else's eye. But you've missed that log. I think so many of us are, bl are, are blind to our own behavior. And we've gotten sucked into culture. Let's just stay on social media for a second. We start acting like everybody else. We've just gotten sucked right in. We don't even think about it. And Jesus is saying, look, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, if you start acting like everybody else, how can that salt be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. He's saying your job is to stop decay. Your job is to be different in this world, to carry yourself differently, to act differently. And if you're just acting like everybody else, if there's no discernible difference between your life and someone who hasn't said yes to Jesus, then you have lost your saltiness. You are no longer a help to the kingdom of God. You're the light of the world, he says. I don't want to be a light of the world. You hear that, you go, mm, that's not me, okay? I want to be a Christian, all right, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I just want to live my life the way that I want to live it. I am not, I did not sign up for being the light of the world. Jesus says, sorry, when you said yes to me, you're now salt of the earth, you're light of the world, and you need to make a difference in the world that you live in. He says, a town on a hill cannot be hidden. In the original language, it says a town placed on a hill. When you think to where Jesus lived over there in the Jerusalem area, it's very flat, but there were these foothills. And on the top of each hill, a town was placed. And you could see these towns from very, very far away. And Jesus is saying, the way that you need to think about yourself in this world 
you're like a strategically placed town. In your school, in your job, at the gym, online with your followers, you are where you're supposed to be. The last group talked about a lot of us don't like where we are, wish we had something different, but Jesus is saying, sorry, I placed you where you are because I knew you could make an impact in that area. You were strategically placed there. He continues on, he goes, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He continues, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying, I need you to live your life in a way, not so that people look at you and go, wow, that John guy, he's a nice guy, he's a good guy. Jesus wants every single one of us to live our life in a way that when someone looks at us, they go, wow, whatever's happening in that person's life, is way bigger than that person. And I want that. I want that in my life. I want that joy. I want that peace. I want that love. It reminds me of that one quote from Harry Met Sally when she goes, I'll have what she's having, okay? That's what Jesus wants people to do in our lives. He wants people to look at our lives and go, whatever that person has, I want that. I need that in my life. And eventually, when you live a life being a light, when you live a life being salt, someone is going to come up to you and say, tell me about why you're different. What's going on in your life that makes you act so differently than anybody else? Paul takes this a step further. And he says, be wise. That's a command. He goes, be wise, be smart in the way that you act towards outsiders. When you're at your job, when you're at the gym, when you're online, he goes, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because everybody is watching you. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He's saying when you're out there in the world, be wise, be salt, be light, and get ready. Because someone is going to come to you and ask you about the hope that you have. And it might open up an opportunity for you to begin to speak about Jesus. Downstairs in our kids' ministry, there's a phrase that we use that kind of runs everything that we do here at this church. So if you have a kid down there right now, he, here's the way that we think about working in a kid's life. We believe that the best way for a kid to know God is to know someone who knows God. That's why every single week downstairs, we put a small group leader in their life, an adult who knows Jesus, so that they can look at that adult and that adult can say, look at me, follow me. I will show you who Jesus is. I will show you what Jesus looks like. And the great thing about this statement is that it's, it's we use it for kids, but it's so much bigger than kids. It's everybody. Because the best way for somebody who has no clue about God to know something about God is to know somebody else who does know God. To look at their life, to learn from them, and to meet Jesus. Paul says something amazing. He says to his guys, he goes, be imitators of me. 
just as I also am of Christ. And this is a challenge to every single one of us. Paul is looking at us and saying, you need to live your life. So that if somebody were to imitate you, the things that you say, the things that you do, the way that you act, they would, in essence, be imitating Jesus. And I was thinking about, is this something that I could say of myself? Could I look at somebody else and say, hey, you want to know Jesus? Imitate me. It's a scary thought. Because it makes me realize how far I've missed the mark in so much of my Christian walk. And I ask myself this question, and I'll pose it to you. Are we holding on to behaviors that we know others shouldn't imitate? Are, are we doing things in this life that are actually pushing people further away from Jesus than they are pointing to him and drawing them towards him? Are there things that we're doing or saying or posting that someone looking at that behavior would go, there's, there's no way that's Jesus. There's no way that's the God that you worship. There's no way that's about the guy who died on the cross, that there's no way that came from him. There's no way. When we started this church three years ago, we spent a very long time researching and speaking to folks who've either had a bad experience with church, who have no experience with God, who've kind of walked away, and, m and most of these people, to be quite honest with you, were our friends and our family. And we just, we took them out to dinner, we took them to lunch, we went to coffee, and we just said, tell us about your situation. Help us understand where your problem is with God. Tell us wh what your problem is with Jesus so that we can create an institution where somebody maybe like you might have a fighting chance at a relationship with God. And we were shocked with what these people told us. And almost universally, we got the same answer. What we learned when we asked them this question, we learned that very few people have a problem with God or Jesus. Very few. They have a problem with the church. And what's so interesting is that it wasn't a problem with a local church. It wasn't a problem with a building or a church at a particular address. They had a problem with the church. And you know who that is? You and me. It's Christians. See, what I learned through these conversations with these people is that somewhere along the way, we lost our way. Somewhere along the way, we dropped the ball as followers of Jesus, as being the salt and light, and we became like everybody else. And it broke my heart to think, and I'll just talk about me, it broke my heart to think about the fact that maybe something that I did, or I said, or I posted, became an obstacle between someone knowing Jesus as their Savior. When you walked in this room today, you passed this sign. It said, remember the things you hate about church? Those won't happen here. This was our promise to God, to those people, that when you come to this church, no matter who you are, or what's going on in your life, we as a church staff, we as members or attenders of Downtown Harbor Church, 
we're going to try to be salt and light here. We're going to try to be different here. That, that those things that had burned you up, that the way the Christians acted in the past, we're going to try our best not to do that any longer. And my challenge for you today would be this. When you walk out of these doors, when you walk past that sign, take the essence of this into your life. So that when you're on social media, it's, hey, you know that stuff about social media you hate? It's not going to happen here. You know that stuff about politics that you hate? It's not going to happen here. You know that stuff about culture that you hate? It's not going to happen here. Because I've been called to be salt and light. I've been called to be different. I've been called to live differently so that hopefully at some point in the future, somebody might ask me about a God who can make them different. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? Every single week, if it's your first time here at DHC, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So your first practical is this. Practice restraint. I think social media has lulled, let's just put us all in that boat, has lulled us all into thinking that anything goes. Just because you can do it, do it. Just because you can say it, say it. Just because you have an opinion, share it. What if we started acting with a little bit of common decency in this world? And we started using a little bit of restraint. How much better would all of our lives be? How much better would this country be if we practiced restraint? Maybe you're somebody who might need to apologize. Maybe after a message like this, you begin to think about something you've said or posted or done. Maybe you realize you've done some damage unknowingly, but, but you've done some damage and maybe you've hurt some people. What would it look like to seek forgiveness? What would it look like to say, I'm sorry? You know, we worship a God whose two favorite words are, I'm sorry, because he realizes how much growth and how much healing can happen when we just say those words, I'm sorry. I screwed up. I didn't mean it. Maybe I did mean it, but I was wrong. I should have known better, and I'm sorry. I want to leave you with a quote that I believe perfectly ties a bow on today. And it was originally attributed to a guy named Francis of Assisi. Later on, we've learned he didn't say it. We don't know who said it. You can just quote me as though I said it, all right? It says this, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Whoever said this, what this person's getting at is that you have the potential to reach every single person around you with the message of Jesus. Just simply through your actions. You don't ever have to say a word. The way that you live your life, the way that you carry yourself, that's enough. They can see Jesus in you. You can make a difference in this world. You just have to choose to live differently. Let me pray for you.